Hi, everyone. This is Anthony Diaz with the Pop Health Show. And this show is for anyone that has passion for making people healthier in this world. I'm really excited today to have Dr. Brett Oliver on the show. Dr. Brett Oliver is the CMIO at Baptist Health System. Anyway, I'm not going to steal his thunder. He's doing a lot of awesome stuff. He's a part of a lot of different organizations as well. Um, he'll tell you more about it, but he's done some cool stuff. I'm not going to steal his thunder. Brett, welcome to the show. <laughs> hey, thanks, Anthony. I appreciate you having, having me on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great. Great for you to carve out time. Great to do this. Take us back, Brett teleport us or transport us back to the beginning what what led you to become the person you are today let's just love to hear a little bit about your origin story sure sure uh professionally i always kind of grew up wanting to be a doctor i'm 51 now and i've been practicing for about 24 years uh, i thought that uh family medicine was kind of what you did because i was blessed enough to not have a lot of medical problems growing up and the doctor we all went to was our family doctor so i got to medical school realized there were a lot more <laughs> options but Stuck with primary care. I'm sort of a generalist at heart and, and love to, to understand lots of things. I think I would get bored in, in one niche. I'm thankful for those folks that like the niches, but uh, that was not, not my uh, calling there. And so I ended up, uh, I went to the University of Kentucky for medical school and down to Wake Forest for my residency. My wife's a pediatrician. Uh, we were both practicing then in North Carolina for a few years. Had my first child, our son, and decided we needed to get back to Kentucky at that time if we were going to do it. Both our families were still back in the state. So that brought us back to Kentucky to practice. Opened up a solo practice at that point uh, and did that for three or four years before bringing on some partners. And then fast forward about nine years ago, Baptist Health uh, was growing. I was growing weary of the administrative side of practicing. I was eating up more and more of my time and I was I just really lacked the expertise there. And I reached out to them and said, do you guys ever help small practices out, you know, with their with your business? Uh, they quickly responded, we do a whole host of things. We can do your billing for you or we could employ you. And I kind of tapped the brakes on that. So, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm not sure that's what I'm looking for. But honestly, as I uh, thought about it, prayed about it, I really think that's what I was looking for. So hmm. fast forward, I, I became employed with Baptist Health. Uh, and my boss at the time, who was over our region of physicians, ended up becoming uh, our systems, both CIO and CMIO. He took a, a dual role when we were ready to roll out uh, enterprise-wide EHR. And uh, I wasn't really looking for a change. Uh, talk about just having an open mind and heart to things that come your way. And about five and a half years ago, he asked me to go to dinner and said, I would like you to be the medical director for our EPIC implementation. Mm. Started talking about it. sounded kind of interesting. Uh, however... <laughs> Uh, he said he needed four of my five work days a, a week. And right then I was practicing full time and I need to know yesterday, right? I mean, these implementations take long enough as, as it is. And so we, uh, my wife and I thought and prayed about it and decided to take the leap. And, and I'm really thankful that I did. I've, I've enjoyed this ride immensely. Uh, I certainly have been on a steep learning curve. Uh, mm -hmm. I didn't grow up in an IT with an IT background. I wasn't afraid of computers or technology, but that's, you know, I, I don't build them in my spare time or anything like that, which really, I honestly, I think it was an advantage for me. It, it right. kept me humble. You know, as physicians, we tend to be the, the experts in the room and I was far from the expert in the room. Uh, Anthony, there were many times when we'd have meetings and I thought, what value am I actually bringing to this meeting? And then there would be that clinical moment where they'd say, well, we're going to go left. And I'd say, well, wait a minute, if you go left with this workflow, you're going to kill the nurses and the docs aren't going to like it either. And 
And then, and they did say, so, well, that's fine. We can go right. And, and I would find, you know, fulfillment and saying, wow, I didn't realize that that wasn't common knowledge in the IT world. And so providing that bridge has been very fulfilling. Uh, and then my boss retired and uh, I was fortunate enough to be asked them to be CMIO about two and a half years ago for our health system. And uh, so that, that, that's at least from a professional standpoint, what sort of brings me to today. Oh, I, I would say I, yeah, about a year ago. Well, no, I guess it's been almost two years ago when the uh, Cures Act. They were they were asking for applications for the Health Information Technology Advisory Committee for the federal government. Really, I wasn't even thinking about anything, but I was re- reading a news article that talked about a couple of the politicians that had appointed some members, and half of this half of our group is appointed, and half go through the GAO through an interview process. And I mean, no. Gosh, I, should, I ought to be careful about this, but the, the folks that had been appointed at that point in time, when I was reading their backgrounds, I realized they don't even use these EHRs. They don't have any clue what we do as an end user. And it kind of made me mad, Anthony. And, right. Uh, I, so I ended up applying for a position there. And uh, so definitely a lesson and be careful what you wish for. Because <laughs> <laughs> the next thing you know, through a couple you of interviews, <laughs> interviews I was, yeah, I was lucky enough to be appointed and to have been engaged with that as well. Met some fabulous people and I'm really impressed with, as, as much as we want to rail against the government sometimes because it's kind of a black box, totally right. impressed with the people and the committee and, and with the government that are, are doing, are trying to do good work with, with interoperability and uh, exchange of information. So, so anyway, that's that's kind of my a little bit of my backstory. I love it. I love it. No, Brett, this is great. And, you know, uh, lots, lots there, you know, from a medical background to where you're at today and then being appointed to... Um, you know, the committee and task force you just mentioned, um, you know, we have a lot of listeners that, that deal with a lot of health IT, some with medical backgrounds, some with MD, that are MD, some that are not. What, what are some differences that have made a difference, you know, using your epic example? Like, what are some things that you found along the way that are like, uh, I think these are the factors that's going to make success in doing this implementation or really supporting workflows? Just love to hear on like what's what's worked, you know, and what you, what you found along the way in, in this role. Yeah, I'd, I'd look at that from two different directions. One, from the standpoint of what makes the workflow good is getting those end users, nurses, front office staff, physicians, PAs, nurse practitioners, get them involved early. You know, we're, we want to make this change. We're, we're going to make this change. Maybe it's a decision that's already been made. Uh, and then say, how how is this? How do you use it? Where do you normally do it now? I mean, when we were doing our Epic, Epic rollout and someone would run into trouble with Epic, you know, one of our first questions is, well, well how did you do it before Epic? Mm-hmm. And it'd be amazing how frozen someone would get because of the technology, not realizing, you know, the answer was really what you were doing before. This was just a new tool. So right. involving the, the, the end users early, and that's hard. I get it. Everybody's busy. Um, and I'm sure I go to the well of some of my uh, physician colleagues that will help me out maybe too often because not everyone is willing to do that. But boy, once they understand that you listen to them and some of the things that they suggest are implemented and they feel like they've been heard, they're much more likely than to participate the next time. Mm-hmm. On the flip side of things, there's been a, a really good movement in our organization. And I'm sure anybody out there listening that that's in an IT shop gets really frustrated and tired with projects getting thrown over the wall at them once a contract's already signed um, it, we're going live tomorrow and we need to be on the network kind of thing. And you're, you're trying to get IT to the operations table as early as possible in the project. Uh, even when it's a, a concept, we're, we would prefer to say, what's 
the problem you're trying to solve and then let us help you find the technology tool rather than, hey, I met with a vendor. This is a cool tool. We want to, we want to implement it. Um, and so we're, we've been transitioning just structurally. How, how can we get IT engaged early, whether it's, you know, a clinician that's in IT or, or, uh, or just uh, our operational folks? Um, yeah, I guess the other thing I would mention, too, is we've had a lot of success with our Epic Physician Builders program. It's a small group. We just have five physicians that have gone through builder training. And uh, if you're not familiar with that, that just allows them or they go through some training that allows them some general um, better understanding of some of the build behind the scenes so they can know what's possible. And then actually even do a little bit of build with with our analysts help. Having them has been really helpful when projects come up. Uh, to help some of our other operational clinical leaders understand what's possible and how we can improve workflows that way. I love it. I love it, Brett. Yeah, no, um, it's funny how with technology, you know, it's the soft things around the technology on empathy and understanding and, you know, focusing on the human element, right? And in the anthropology, how they're done today, right? That makes the most difference in, in new technology and introducing it. Um, Brett, Tell me a little bit about, along those lines, I guess, tell me a little bit about what fascinates you today, uh, aside from the things that you're mentioning, or maybe it's some of the things that you're mentioning. Just tell me what's what's occupying your mind the most in, in terms of health that really has you excited uh, today. Gosh, Anthony, I, I, you know, as much pain as there is out there it, with <laughs> my fellow clinicians and nurses with EHRs and you know, I'm, I really grow weary of another article or another, you know, that death by uh, whatever it was, 10,000 clicks or something, you know, while I find that somewhat accurate, it's kind of like that's a little bit late to the party. Right. And I think what gets me excited is I think we got a lot of solutions on the horizon to help with that. Um, I see the burnout. I see folks that would normally pick up the phone and call you about a patient just honestly too fatigued to do so and, uh, and too burned out with all the requirements, the administrative tasks. And so not to get too far into the, the burnout uh, wormhole, per se, because there's a lot of facets to that. Uh, I think that I get really excited about some of the things we're able to do to improve efficiency and really begin to use what the needs of the end user, the nurses and, and the physicians are. Uh, and, I, you know, we're just at a crossroads, really. Uh, you know, I've heard some people talk about we're entering in the fourth industrial revolution and I, with AI and things like that. And I really believe the way that I practice 10 years from now, 15 years from now, it's not going to look anything like uh, the way we, we do right now and probably a much sooner than that. That gets right. me excited. It gets overwhelming, you know, <laughs> at times. What direction do you go? Um, I think the other thing that I get really excited about is this burgeoning emphasis on wellness and bringing value and, and the focus not being focus and honestly the financial rewards not being placed on I did something to a patient or I waited till they were sick and then I put you know a stent in or something like that which mm-hmm. I don't think anybody wakes up saying I hope I get you know 20 sick patients that I can put stents in today but we've never been rewarded uh, or very little reward on the wellness side and I'm starting to see that and then you start to see companies emerging in this space that specialize in coaching and behavioral change and diet you know, we're so quick to put push out another medication, which I understand. Not number one, that's the way we're trained. That's that's the knowledge base we have. And then number two, to teach somebody about a lifestyle modification or try to coach them in that, we don't have the time, mm-hmm. uh, and we're certainly not, you know, given reimbursement for that time. So uh, I, I see that tide changing. I see organizations that have been in that space, like a Kaiser, you know, that, that has the ability because they're self-funded to to go that route and and 
the uh, the wellness that can happen from that, and that gets me excited. And uh, while we are nearly entirely fee for service still to this point, I know that change is coming, and that's been part of my job, sort of prepare our organization for that change. I love it. I love it, Brett. No, this is great. I, it's it's a really fascinating. Um, you know, a set of topics and phenomenon that's happening right now and the convergence of, of these pieces is really exciting. Uh, Brett, tell me a little bit about the future of health, right? So we talked a lot about like um, what's going on today in IT and lots of different exciting, you know, opportunities we see right now. But, you know, what do you see happening in like 10, 20, 30 years that may not to the, the, the person not in this space may not be so obvious? I think the structure of the whole system changes in that kind of time frame, Anthony. I mean, I think we're going to see crazy right. changes in just three to five years right. with voice recognition, things like that, just with, within the exam room. But then I, I wonder and dream about 10, 12, 15 years about what is, what is the, what does care even look like? How I do worry about losing that physical touch mm. as we go more te telemedicine and, and, and that as a solution to not having enough providers, well, okay, we'll just put them virtually on or we'll do some kind of algorithms with a chat bot. And I, I would do worry about the isolation that comes with it. I don't know that I have a lot of uh, choice in that as we, as we move forward, just given the numbers and the value that's found in it. But yeah, I think, how do you even structure your office? Um, I don't think the, the value is going to be found in bricks and mortar. You know, we, we've discussed that even with some property that the organization owns. You know, what's, we initially thought 10 years ago we were going to build another hospital in this location. And now we're starting to second guess that. Like, hey, wait a minute. Maybe this needs to be a virtual hospital. Maybe this needs right. to you know, be a telemedicine center. Um, I, don't, I think, honestly, probably 15 to 20 years from now would probably at least in my estimation, be a little foolish to try to think that because it, things are changing so rapidly that at least from a planning perspective, if, right. if, uh, if we were just sitting around dreaming, that's one thing, but to, sit, to actually make some kind of plan based on that, boy, oh boy, I, I don't know, that, that makes my head hurt just a little bit thinking about <laughs> all the different changes just that we've seen in a couple of years. Right. All the power that's right now being pushed to the patient um, which has good and bad, we'll see how that shakes out, but you know, giving them their, their information um, and, and what that's going to look like. Okay, if I've got my chart on my phone and I can, you know, embed an app that you know, has some AI in it, what does that look like when I get an abnormality? You know, right. Um, the other piece that is going to be interesting to see, you know, typically in medicine, if there's a clinical problem uh, that needs to be solved, we'll do, we'll, we'll go out and get a grant, we'll do a study, we'll analyze that research, we'll publish that research. And I think I read recently, or maybe in the last couple of years, that it takes 17 years from that idea phase to actually changing behavior on the front lines, which is crazy. You know, some of the things that CMS will set, you know, are quality metrics, quality goals. There's nothing new there. If anybody's not already doing that, you know, it's just a matter of tracking it uh, with technology. Now we're going to have these enterprise data warehouses and, and data uh, that's amalgamated across the country and across the world that's going to change things on a dime. The question comes in, at least with the old guard in my profession, are you going to buy that? Right. Like for instance, there is, there's a sepsis algorithm within Epic that they created, and it looks pretty good. But trying to sell placing that live in our environment to our intensivists or our hospitalists, well, where, where's this come from? Where's the data? Well, it's our vendor. Oh, I don't know. I don't know about that. That's not published in a peer-reviewed journal. Mm -hmm. But I don't know that we've got the time, the way things are moving for that to happen. Things are going to go into a black box. 
let's say, Anthony, you've got a company that specializes in sepsis. And we're like, man, your numbers are amazing. Right. Let us send you a, a feed to the cloud. You strap on your AI and then give us those folks that, that you find that are at risk back into our system. Mm-hmm. Well, that's your proprietary business. And so some of these things we're going to have to work out from a legal liability standpoint. What happens when something goes wrong? Because something's going to go wrong. We're in, we're in medicine. Who's responsible? Well, all the, the physician's going to say, well, I just, you know, I put all the numbers into the black box and it came back and then we couldn't look at the black, you know, and we're not allowed to look at the black box per se, because that's, that's your business model. Um, I was at the ATA meeting in New Orleans recently and a couple of folks from the Mayo Clinic were there to talk about ethics and, and regulation of AI. And mm-hmm. oh, this is great. because I've, I've got to get some questions answered. And, and it, it, was, it was a little frustrating, uh, but at least transparent. It, there were more questions than answers right now in that realm. So a lot of questions to be answered, a lot of things that are a little opaque now that will need to be cleared up. But I, I'm thankful that folks are asking the questions and, and dreaming beyond that so we can be talking about those things. I love it. I love it, Brett. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's really exciting. And so I think I appreciate your perspective because you're breaking it down, you know, definitely from, from a lens you've seen on both angles, right? Systems, process, uh, medical, MD side. And so it's, it's great to see, you know, see how the way that you see it, you know, happening and unfolding, uh, which is very fascinating. Uh, Brett, tell me a little bit. My last question for you is more about, so like we talked about a little bit before the show and, and a little bit during the show is like, you know, when you're dealing with new processes, new innovations, new IT workflows, new workflows, period, you know, uh, physician burnout, you know, fatigue, um, change, you know, we're living in a rapid world. Um, you probably have the just as people walk into your office, right? And you're trying to like, you know, make them, you know, feel good and just feel well-being. But what's something on a personal basis, like a routine you do on a daily, weekly, monthly basis you do that really keeps the engine going and keeps you recharged, you refreshed, and you focus for, you know, for performance and, and resilience? You know, I'm really glad you asked the question just because I don't think we ask that enough, mm-hmm. in not just medicine, but, but other places. And you're rewarded or you're kind of thought of at, at a different or a higher level if, oh, I stayed till midnight last night or, mm. you know, I got up at three to get my work done. And, and I watched those folks and if, if they're being honest, they're not, you know, they're on fumes. Uh, and so mm. I would let me say this when I was doing my clinical work, and I still do, but that's just one day a week. I knew the end of the day, Anthony, when I was done seeing patients, I had my labs, my messages returned. It was, it was a very discreet line. I could mm-hmm. go home and, and unless I was on call and then kind of forget about it. With administrative work, my CMIO role, uh, as anybody out there that's done this for a while, I'm not, not, there's no whole insight. It was insight for me. There's no end to the day. There's always one more email. There's always another project you can work on. There's always another technology to investigate or app to look at. And so I struggled early on, and it's still a battle, but to say when the end of my day is the end of my day. This is the last thing I'm going to do, and then I'm going to be done. Um, and, I, and it's easy to say, and it may sound trite for uh, some of the listeners or for you, but the, I, I've had to almost schedule things. And so part of it has been my daughter, who's graduating high school here in a couple of weeks, got into uh, spinning at a, at a, at a um, sort of like a cycle, um, mm-hmm. cycle bar is the name of it, but and she asked me to go and, and I've always done, you know, I've always exercised and things, but so that's been one is just scheduling some exercise at a, at a prescribed time. Uh, and then I personally, I've transformed my, I couldn't ignore the data that was out there much longer. I'm sort of data driven in my job. 
I should be data driven in, in my lifestyle and more and more data about eating a whole foods plant-based diet. So really adjusting my diet has been good and, and staying grounded with my exercise. And then probably the most important thing to me is my faith. So I start the day every day, uh, you know, in prayer and, and some reading and meditation and kind of ground me and remind me of uh, who I am and, and why I'm here. Uh, and so, so far that's, that's been helpful. I've got a great family that supports me and understands when there's seasons as a physician spouse, my wife's a pediatrician, you know, there's a level of understanding, particularly when it comes to the medical side, when you're late or you, you, know, you had a patient that took longer, you know, we're disappointed to not see each other, but there's an understanding like you can't help it. <laughs> this is just, right. you know, the career that we've, the career that we've chosen. So that's a little bit of that. I love it. I love it. No, thank you for that. Thank you for that illustration. And yeah, no, it's, it's something, yeah, I agree with you. We don't talk about it enough. You know, people factors are faced with their own humanity of making tiny decisions for our health, bigger decisions for our health. And it's just, you know, it's important we talk about these things. You know, we share best practices, realize that we all, we all have these opportunities to, to choose healthy, you know, mind, body, spirit, and be optimal in these spots. And, you know, there is, there is, uh, okay. you know, this internal, I think this, uh, direction that nudges us and wants that wants ourselves to get better. And it, we just got to draw it out. And sometimes just, you know, um, you, you know, just bring it out in ourselves. And so I think talking about it is, is really important. I'm also always, you know, really, I'm, I'm always interested in keeping my own engine going and staying resilient. So I'm always yeah. as well. So, so oh, totally no, I appreciate you asking, but, uh, Brett, um, this was great. Uh, I guess for our listeners out there, what would be a great way to get in contact with you if people would like to do so? I think probably the easiest is LinkedIn. I'm on there. Mm -hmm. uh, Brett Oliver, O-L-I-V-E-R. Um, that's probably the easiest way. I love it. I love it. No, Brett, this was great. So we'd love to have you back as you work on different things, different initiatives out there, see what you're seeing and just have you talk about it. But um, to our listeners out there, this is the Pop Health Show. The show is for anyone that has a strong passion for making people healthier in this world. Uh, Brett, again, thank you so much for making time. Thank you for your presence here and for having this conversation with me. Really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely, Anthony. Appreciate what you're doing and giving the opportunity for us to speak. Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks. Sure.